0: Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the people that are here. I thank you for the privilege that I have to be able to share the bread of life. God, to be able to to just break it down and be able to give it to your people, that we'll be able to digest, that we'll be able to be filled up, that we'll be able to be stretched and challenged. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for what you're doing in us. We give you praise and glory for the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I have a message for you today, and I, I'm so, I was so thrilled in, in the time away that we had, and, and it feels like it, it has been quite a while since I've been on the pulpit. Val spoke on Mother's Day, and then, and then I was gone for two weeks, and then Pastor Jeff last week. How many of you enjoyed our, our guest speaker last week? Wasn't he phenomenal? And uh, on Wednesday night, there was only about, uh, I think, a little under 70 of us that was here, uh, but we had a great time, um, and God just really ministered to us. And uh, I I believe that God's got great things in store for us, and and we just have to put our hands in the plow and not give away. But today I want to talk to you about is moving from a victim to a victor. Say that with me. Victim to victor. All right. You know, there's many people today who can tell you everything that's going wrong in their life. Can tell you about how things are not fair tell you about just things are not the going the way which I thought they were going to go. Has that happened to anybody in here today? Okay, the rest of you, you're just not participating, all right? Because it's happened to all of us. You set out on a course, you're moving along in a path, and then all of a sudden things went a little bit different than what you expected. But I want to tell you something. You are not a victim. God did not create you to be a victim, all right? There may be things that's happening to you, but he's called you to be a victor. Now, I have some Tough questions. I want us to ponder. All right. And, and I just want you to ponder. I don't know that we'll get the answers to them, but I want to read off a couple questions for you and think if it kind of makes you a little perplexed like it has me. Have you ever wondered why is the third hand on a watch called the second hand? You ever wonder about that? I mean, if a word, how about this? If a word is misspelled in the dictionary, how would you even know it? All right, how about this? Why do we say that something is out of whack? What is whack anyway? <laughs> does anybody know? Why does slow down and slow up mean the same thing? <laughs> you ever heard someone say that? Slow down, slow up. Um, why does fat chance and slim chance mean the same thing? <laughs> well, that's a fat chance that's a slim chance what is it you know what i'm saying questions to ponder how about this why do tugboats push their barges why do we sing take me out to the ball game when we're in the park already silly stuff right why are they called stands when we are when they are made for sitting Go sit in the stands. (laughs) It's no wonder that we get a little confused, right? Why is it called after dark when it's really after light? We'll come over to your house after dark. (laughs) Okay, see, he's got an answer. I appreciate that. Doesn't expecting the unexpected make the unexpected expected? Doesn't. Expecting the unexpected make the unexpected expected. So why do we tell people that? Why are a wise man and a wise guy opposites? (laughs) How about this last one? Why is phonics not spelled the way it sounds? Come on. There's another question I have for you, a little bit more of a spiritual line to it. Why do believers let their past interfere with experiencing the extraordinary will of God in the present? Is that not almost as perplexing that we serve an awesome, extraordinary, supernatural God But when we start to look and we start to focus upon our past, somehow we don't feel like it's accessible to us. Somehow the enemy brings us into focusing on the things that we really should have let go of. But instead, they seem to block us. The past sins seem to in the failures that we've experienced. Anyone ever in this place ever have failure in your life? Raise your hand. Look at that all around. See, if you let these failures continue to block you, you get to a place that we call stagnation. Does anybody know what it means to be stagnant? Yes. Someone who is stagnant or something that is stagnant ceases to flow or move. It's, It's become trapped. It becomes standing water. Standing water, we know, becomes what? Foul. Things start to grow on standing waters, there becomes scum that gets around the outside as the water begins to e- evaporate. There's 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 residue. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's not a pretty picture of being stagnant. Things that cease to move become stiff, become rigid, become brittle. Now I'm not talking about your body, okay? <laughs> but it may apply. I am understanding more and more as I continue at this young age that it becomes more and more important for me to to stretch as it is it's as much as an importance as it is to stretch as it is to lift weights. Because if I don't stretch, I become brittle. We pull things I go to take off and all of a sudden it's like, oh, ah, yeah, a little twinge (laughs) here. Got to move you get. But when we stretch out, see, I believe that there's biblical help for us to be able to move forward. We're going to take a look at Philippians chapter three. Go ahead and open up your scriptures if you have them. If not, I have them on the screen here. I want to share something with you that many of us already know. But too many of us have a hard time putting into practice. And I want you to know how I know that, because we talk about the limitations a whole lot more than we talk about how God has called for us to move forward. Our conversations are about the stops and not about the successes. We, we, we focus too much about why we can't do what God's called us to do rather than that we're doing it, regardless of what stops there may be. Philippians chapter three, verse number 12 says this. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. It's the apostle Paul. Speaking to the church in Philippi and also speaking to us. He says this, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All right. Can, can you go ahead and move those slides for me? It's not moving here. There it goes. I press on, all of us. Look, look at this. Why, why would I give this message here to you today for so many people who, who already know this? You've heard this. It's, 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 a, it's a memory verse that we've learned from the earliest of ages. If For those of you who have been in the church for a long period of time. But he says this. He says in verse number 15, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Who is he speaking to? The mature, you see, some of us are still stuck. Some of us still are stagnant. And if you've been in the faith for a long period of time, guess what? You're more likely to be stagnant than others. Why? Because you don't see a lot of things changing around you. Everything looks the same. You wonder, why, why do I go through the motions? I'm just going to come to church. It's 10 o'clock. We're going to sing some songs. There's going to be a prayer time. There's going to be more songs. There's going to be a, a message. And, and, and then we're going to go ahead and pack it up and shut it down and go home. Feels like the same thing, right? Right. Well, it's the same elements, but it doesn't have to be the same encounter. It doesn't have to be the same experience. It doesn't have to be the same thing, because guess what? God speaks to you. You open up your heart. You get something. You spur somebody else on, and all of a sudden, you're not doing the same thing from week to week. You might say, well, I kind of am. He says this, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you, only let us live up to what we have already attained. When it comes to past sins and failures, something happens for us. Two things, actually. You see, we sometimes have a tendency to ignore the sins and think that it won't affect us very much. Or sometimes we wallow in the sins. Ignore or wallow. Ignore or, or get, get stuck and just, just say, really, it's, it's, um, we, we, we can't do anything else because all I can think about is this, how I've messed up. Turn to a person either on your left or right, it doesn't matter to me, and look at them and say, you messed up. All right, all right, you're thinking now, you're thinking, well, what did I mess up in, all right? Look at your other neighbor on the other side and say, you messed up. All right, all right. Now look at someone in the middle, all right? someone You guys squeeze someone in there and let them feel that, all right, with two people saying, you messed up. You really messed up. You know what? There's there's an even playing field. There's an even playing ground when it comes to that. Every single one of us have messed up. That's what the Word of God says. There's no one righteous. No, not one. Every single one of us. And yet he has called for us to be what? Not victims but victors. Some people think that the the, the 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 our failures are a result of things that other people do to us, but I wonder how many here today are going to understand that our failures many times are a result of the decisions that we've made. There are things that we have done. There are situations that we have put ourselves in, and we can't ignore it. First John chapter one verse eight says this: "If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us." There's nobody without sin. You meet somebody who says that they're without sin, guess what? The truth isn't in them. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How can you figure, just go figure, how does that make sense? We do just the opposite in practice, right? Right? We don't tell other people our faults. We don't tell people how we messed up. We put on the mask. We put on the, 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 the fake facade, right? And everything's good. We got it all together. You say, well, not me. I mean, I, I blab, but I let everybody know about all my failures, all the things that's, I'm going, that's going on in my life. But how many of you know that isn't a common practice? Far too often we become so embarrassed about our shortcomings and our failures that we get stuck and rather than finding relief in the confession, we we confess it to God. All right. We're not supposed to be going around and blabbing it to everybody. But you know what? The Bible does say that we should confess our sins to one another. Why? because it helps to provoke us it helps to spur us on it helps to keep us in a place to where we can't ignore it someone knows that you're struggling with a particular area of sin in your life and you've told them about it guess what they should be if they're caring about you asking you how you're doing in that particular area here's the thing we get this pressure we get these thoughts in our minds and guess what we all want to be comfortable how many want to be comfortable yeah you don't like uncomfortable situations you don't like it when you have when you confess something to somebody and you say, you know what? I'm really struggling with this particular area, even so much so that I've messed up. I I, I want to start treating my spouse differently. I want to start treating them with respect and honor. I want to start. I want to start honoring my kids. I I, I want to quit saying to them, "Because I told you so." Some of you may be doing that. I don't know. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just. I I I, I like reasons, right? The little things. Some of you just, you're, you're saying, you know what, I, I don't want to blow a top or blow a gasket when I'm at work. And you tell somebody you did. And next time they come up to you, and guess what? They ask you, how you doing at work? How's things at work? You're just like, well, it's fine. I mean, I, I just had one issue. What, you think I struggle with that all the time? All of a sudden, this pride and this arrogance and these, these ideas of we've got it all together all the time starts to come out. But how many of you know sometimes we struggle? We struggle. He says this, if you will confess your sins, he is faithful. In verse 10 says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. That's not a good place to be. So that's what we try to ignore. Let's talk about wallowing. Like a pig wallows in the mud. In the slop. Kind of gets stuck. At different times. There's some people who have a hard time believing that God could or would ever forgive them. They've made so many mistakes. That it feels like God has just locked them up and thrown away the key. He's put them in a stagnant pond. You have no rights. You have no entitlements. You have no privilege to be able to come in here. And yet that's exactly the opposite of what we see. Instead, he says, all of your righteous acts that you accomplished by yourself, it's like filthy rags. I tell you, here's what the deceiver wants you to understand. You failed, and that makes you a failure. Therefore, you can't ever do anything right. There's some individuals in this place today who grew up underneath oppressive authority. It may have been in your home. It may be in your work. It may be uh, at your school. You may have someone telling you or has told you in the past, you know what, you're a loser. You're never going to amount to anything. And we've got all kinds of teachings. We've got all kinds of education about why we shouldn't do this. But for some reason, our society still lives to put people down rather than build them up. You get a group of friends together, and they think one of the greatest things that they can do is come up with a bunch of put-downs rather than lift-ups. And they laugh about it. We, we, we wonder why the bullying scene that's, that's, that's happening today continues to be so prominent. It's because we'll stand there and watch and laugh right along with other people when something inappropriate is going on. We don't lift people up, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. When we see somebody who is beat down, we need to recognize this is our opportunity to to lift them up lest they're going to get stuck in the muck. They're going to get stuck in the pond. They're going to get stuck in this place, and guess what? They're going to wallow there. They're going to think, I can't do anything right. Some of you have struggled through. Some of you have got up and over, but not everybody. Today we see an epidemic of things that are happening. We see individuals who are checking out and living a useless life. Let me say that again. They're living a useless life because they have believed the lie of the enemy. And they have forgot their purpose. They have forgot their mission. There's some, of, there's some people, some people of faith and some churches that says, well, we tried that, we've done that, we weren't successful with that, and therefore why try again, you know? I, I, I've tried the church thing, some people have even said. I've come to church. I've, I've tried to apply the principles that the pastor talked about, that, that Pastor Ann talked about by, by giving, by tithing. And, and, and I, I, he, they said to give, and it will be given to us, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Well, guess what? I started to give, and more things started to break. How many of you experienced that before? Come on, raise your hand if that's the truth for you. Let everybody see that. Because it happens, all right? But it isn't about what happens, all right, that, that in, that w- in that temporary situation that ought to motivate us or, or cause for us to live in that manner of way. But it's what we understand the truth to be. Yes, we fail. And when we sin, it doesn't make us a failure. We are simply believers who have fallen and given way to sin. I'm not trying to downplay it. Listen, sin is so gross to God that he can't even look upon it. When Jesus took upon him, the sin of the world, God, the father had to turn away. Jesus cried out, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you quit looking upon me? What is why, why am I feeling so alone and isolated? Because the sin that you took upon you, Jesus, was a sin of all the world. And I can't deal with that. I can't look at that. But it's not the end because a price was paid. Look at your neighbor and say the price was paid. A pure price was paid. Someone who was sinless took upon him the sins of all the world. And guess what? That price was paid. We can move on with God's program for our lives because guess what? You may have failed, but you are not a failure. You may have messed up, but guess what? God's causing for you to to be able to move forward. He is causing for you to move from being a victim to being a victor. I want you to look at this text. Paul simply says, past sins and failures, forget them. Do not, in other words, get get to the spot where you forget them. You, You don't even remember them. It's just as if they didn't happen. You see, to forget is to forgive. And some of you are sitting there saying, listen, I can forgive, but I can't forget. In other words, we we, we set within our minds and we say, you know what, I am going to because God tells me that I have to forgive this person. But I'm never going to forget what they've done to me. Isn't that the way we usually think about it? But what happens if we set as our agenda, we set as our priority to forget it? God, we're asking for you to do something that is seemingly impossible. And you're sitting there saying, it is seemingly impossible. I mean, how can you get to that place where you can look at somebody who's done something towards you over and over again and you can forget it? Is that even wisdom? I don't know. That's what God does. You're going to call him unwise? You're going to call him unwise because he gives everybody another opportunity. He gives everybody another hand up. He takes people in their sin while they were still yet sinners and lifts them up out of the miry clay. Even when they've been there before, you think that God is unwise to do that? You think it's unwise spent resources? I think not. But I think that God knew exactly what he was doing when he reached down and he pulled us up and he says, you know what, I'm going to forget it. Just as if it didn't happen. Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, listen, not that I've already obtained this stuff. I'm not perfect. How many of you know some perfectionists? Well, not many. How many of you would be self-proclaimed perfectionists? Come on, somebody knows about that about you. Come on, you just like, go hold your hands up. Let's see you. Let's identify you, okay? Yeah, look at them there, all right? Here's what they're saying. I'm trying to get it right the best I can. I, I even live a life of excellence. But I like to have things in order. I like to have, you know, A goes to B and then C and right on down the line. I like that. And, and when it's not in order, it kind of just upsets the fruit basket. Makes things a little bit out of the way. Those perfectionists, when this is the Apostle Paul, he says, I haven't already obtained it. I'm not perfect yet. That's the way of a perfectionist saying, I messed up. Isn't it interesting when the perfectionist can't be perfect? How hard it is to see how, how patient we must be with other people. Paul is not urging us to forget and forgive our past sins and failures. Uh, not only that, but he's also asking us to forget the sins that other people have committed against us. And why is that important? It's important because guess what? If we can't forget what other people have done against us, then we all will be victims for all of our life. But when we recognize that we have victory over those things, listen, we can be pros, right? At compiling a list of everything that's, that's, that's gone. I mean, some of us use still maybe paper. And pen, you can come up with all of the pros and the cons of why you should be involved in a relationship with a person and why you shouldn't. And and relationships have different looks. I mean, I I get that, all right? But sometimes people have been hurt by somebody, and they say, you know what? I'm going to make sure they never hurt me again, and this is why. And they assemble a list. And unbeknownst to them, a hardness starts to get within their heart. And every time they hear that person's name, Every time they 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 hear another story about someone, and certainly they won't want to hear about how someone has changed. Isn't it you know what I'm talking about? When you're when you're when you have ought against somebody, when you have irritation towards somebody, and somebody else comes up to you and tells you how great that person is. Just like, no way. Not so. That's not what happened to me. We moved down this argumentative path, do we not? Because We get stuck. We're wallowing. We're wallowing in unforgiveness. I've got here a modern version of something that stores data. Anybody recognize this? Just a a CD. You know, and and we have flash drives now. We have hard drives and, I mean, all kinds of things. But, you know, uh, it, it, it doesn't take long for us to keep records. I put on here records to keep records of the rights and the wrongs that people have done to you. And you know what happens, And you know, the poison of it all is when this starts to happen within the body of Christ, when, when, when someone has let us down, when, when uh, another person within the body of Christ lets let us down, then all of a sudden we're like, I can't work with that person. I can't count on that person. Pastor put that person in charge? Does he not know what they did last time? Or that pastor, he let me down. He said we were going to do this. He said we we're going to do that, and we're <laughs> still not there. We're going to keep record of that and we're going to make sure that guess what? We don't emotionally get involved with the wrong people to take us out. We try to protect our emotions and we want to write it down so we can go back and look at it. We want to have a flash drive in our minds. But you know what the word of God says? He says, unless you forgive other people. Unless you forget it, unless you put it in the chopper. I just got shredded right there, a disc. Unless you put it there and destroy it, never to be retrieved again. The data that's on that disc is forever gone. It can't be put back together by all the king's horses and all the king's men. It doesn't matter. You know what I'm talking about? You see, it's so important for you to realize we've got to put something in our minds. We've got to put something in our lives that give people another opportunity, that give people another. uh, uh, And you might say chance, but I want you to say that we will take a risk and we will extend a hand of commitment to other people. We've all been victims at one time or another. So why do we not help other people to get out of the ruts? Could it be that we're looking for reasons and excuses not to partner with other people? Because when I partner with other people, it gets a little messy. (laughs) <laughs> anyone know what I'm talking about? You form a relationship with some people and, and maybe a bunch of different people and, and and you get into these things that we're talking about as far as life groups and, and you're in this life group and, and then someone comes and, they, and they, they're transparent and they share the difficult times that they're going. Now everybody has, that's going on in their lives and now everybody has this responsibility about what am I going to do with that information? Will I ask them about how they're doing with that particular problem or will I just kind of act like it never happened? Because if I ask about their problem, then it might mean that I have to get involved in the situation or the solution to their problem, and I just don't know if I'm ready for that. The only way that a church is ever going to be what it needs to be, as far as being able to, to help one another, lift one another up, is when we're willing to get messy. Listen. Babies come into this world, and what can they do for themselves? Not a thing. And we have a responsibility. Why? Because we see the hope of that child and what that child can co- become, what that child can contribute, and we build them up and we lift them up and we, we change their diapers, we feed them, we, we, we make sure that they're clean, we speak to them proper manners and, 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 and etiquette issues. We go over things so that they can be as successful as they can be important for us to realize that listen some of us are just going about this wrong some of us within the body of Christ are finding ourselves just wanting someone accepts Jesus Christ so therefore guess what they should be clean doesn't the word of God says they're a new creation how many been a new creation for a long time but you still got some things as God's working through within you right I mean, if, you're, if your if spouse don't know, then you know maybe you get, go ahead and get them alone. All right, yeah, maybe they won't <laughs> tell it all right to you. But but listen, it's important for us to realize that God has got something in store for us. And here's what the apostle Paul says. He says, "I'm not going to be a moonwalker. <laughs> I can't do that. You can tell that, right? You know. Someone say you don't you don't, don't moonwalk because you know it just looks funny." But you don't moonwalk because I can't see what's behind me. That's why I don't moonwalk. All right? I, might, I might, if, if I thought it was going to be effective, I might try to, you know, if it served a purpose. But guess what? My eyes are in the front, not in the back, and I bump into things. We've got to open up our eyes and look at situations and say, you know what? I recognize the mess that you're in. I recognize how, how you've been a victim. But guess what? God's called you to be a victor. I can remember the time when I was right there with, in your situation. And I needed somebody to reach down and to pull me up. I needed someone to lift me up and encourage me. And you know what? That person was here for me. And some of you have names. Right now, you're sitting there and you're thanking the Lord, hopefully, for the people that God put in your life that was there for you at just the right moment in time to lift you up. The Apostle Paul says this. He says it's important for me to press on toward. To press on toward that place. I want to press on and go toward where God wants me to be. That sure, that sure sounds great, but what does it mean to press on toward? Have you ever noticed that there's some people who just don't get it at first? There's some people who really struggle with, with the principles of God. There was a new pastor who came to a, a church, and not long after he was at the church, one of the Sunday school teachers had to go ahead and miss class. And so he was uh, elected to go ahead and to substitute. And so he he went in there and he was in a class. He thought, you know, I'm going to find out what kind of Bible knowledge that these boys have. And he began to ask them some questions. And one of the questions that he asked them was this. He says, hey, who knocked down the walls of Jericho? All the boys looked at one another. And then all of a sudden they started shaking their heads and said, not me. The preacher was appalled at their ignorance and thought they were just pulling his leg. And so he took it to the next deacon's meeting and he told them about the experience. And he says, listen, I can't believe it. He says, not one of them knew who knocked down the walls of Jericho. The group was silent until one seasoned veteran, a person who was noted to be handling disputes, stood up and he said this. He says, preacher. This appears to be bothering you a lot, but I've known all these boys since they were born, and they're good boys. And If they say they don't know, I believe them. Let's just take some money out of the repair and maintenance fund, fix the walls, and let it go at that. Sometimes we just don't get it, do we? You see, I could give you the same simple message. I could talk to you about how important it is for you to, to, to speak hope and to speak life and to have life-giving words to individuals, and and, and, and you will rationalize within your mind, well, that didn't work before. Or they, they, they've repeated the same mistakes. They've done the same things over and over again. When is it ever going to stop? Well, when did it happen for you? Are you going to tell me that you had it all together all the time? Are you, not going, are you going to sit there and say to, some, so to somebody else, listen, it, it, it's, I was always this good. Look at me now. I mean, if, if you know in the way that I was in the past, right, you would recognize what, how much of a miracle it was that God's brought me out of. I want to tell you something. There is a high calling. There is a goal. Of the Christian of every Christian in this place today and we find it here Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says this for those God foreknew he also predestined look at this. This is where he's saying, I'm giving you the mission predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those he predestined. He also called those he called. He also justified and those he justified. He also glorified. How many of you could say hallelujah? I'm looking forward to that day. Amen. I know we're not experiencing glory right now. You're not in your glorified state, but God has got a plan for you, and that is that if you would be conformed to the likeness of his son, you can count out of it that that he has called you, he has justified you, and he is going to glorify you. Amen? Don't give up on yourself. Don't wallow in your sins and yesterday's problems and trials. Instead, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. This is from the message version. All right. Same passage. But look at that. What he says to shape the lives. God's shaping you. He's molding you. He's he's forming you. Into what you're supposed to be. That would be along the same lines as the life of his son. Look at this. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. And it's right about there where a lot of people just give out. Because they say, wasn't he perfect? I can't be perfect. Wasn't he, I mean, you know, I mean, it's just, he said, but the process is you're being formed into his likeness because of what he accomplished. Did you catch it? God wants to make you and me like Jesus. Now that ought to excite you because he didn't do anything wrong. He did everything right all the time. Some of you feeling Jesus-like, okay, I know you are. (laughs) But you're really not. But he is forming you and shaping you so that you can be Jesus-like. I want see, look at this. I, in, in Romans eight twenty nine, he says after God made that decision of what his children should be like he followed it up by calling people by name and after he called them by name he set them on a solid basis with himself and then after getting them established he stayed with them to the end gloriously completing what he had begun how many of you have ever heard that scripture verse that he will not stop until he has finished what he has started amen Till he brings it to completion. You may be sitting there today and you may be wallowing in your failures, wallowing in your mistakes, and you might be saying, I don't even know why I keep doing this thing. I don't even know why I'm going to keep on trying. I mean, I don't know why other people don't give up on me. Because Christ is being, perform- is, is being perfected in us, amen? He is accomplishing something. His master plan is to have a whole host of little Jesuses running around, amen? I'm talking about that you're walking around, you're sitting there saying, Jesus, I mean, he, he walked around and he did this where Jesus can do no wrong. You're like, yeah, that's that's going to take a while for me. But he is doing this. He's fashioning your life to build the character of Christ in you and everything. Say that with me. Say Everything. That he allows to come into contact with your life is for the purpose of shaping you and forming you into his image and in his likeness. Listen, things weren't fair for Christ. How is it that someone will come into the world and speak of loving everybody? And then they want to crucify him. How is that? Here's what it means for Jesus to be revealed in you it means that you have been placed as jesus in your home you have been placed as jesus in your workplace you have been placed as jesus for the parent to be the parent to your kids you have been placed as jesus jesus is being formed and they ought to see jesus in you in your relationship with your spouse You want purpose to your life? There it is. There's no higher calling. He says, listen, he says, I press on. I move forward to take hold of the prize to which he has called me. What has he called you to? He's called you to be Jesus. His hands, his feet extended his heart, his passion, his way of forgetting the things and the mistakes of other people so that you could truly forgive them. Listen, it becomes a whole lot easier that way, church. The irking, the irritation that happens with you is a whole lot better when you truly forget. Two things. I'm going to wrap it up with this. How do you move from from victim to victor? First of all, you've got to become convinced that God is for you. Become convinced that he is for you. We find support of this in scriptures in Romans chapter 8, the same text we were there. says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? What did I say? I say, God is for you. Look at your neighbor and say, God is for you. Be convinced of it. Know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Look at this. So he goes on and says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You might think that's a little thing. You might think that he doesn't hold a whole lot of weight, but his intercession is different than someone just pleading the case and saying, Give another do over. You see, Jesus' intercession is this his defense of you is this Father, we agreed that if the sin was, if the sinless life was to be laid down, if I was to lay down my life, that all of their sins that they ever accomplished in the past, all the sins that they ever accomplished in the future, was going to be paid for. And God hears that, knows that, responds to that. And guess what? In God's eyes, you're a little Jesus. Amen. You get another do-over. I love this. Can anything? ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Listen, what are we talking about there? I want you to understand that it is so important for you to understand nothing will interfere with what God is trying to do in your life. It's about what you think about it. It's how you get stuck in that place and you say, you know what, if I was such a Christian, how many of you have, have measured yourselves and say, if I was a better Christian, then I would think different thoughts. Yes. Pastor Jeff said it this way. He says, listen, last week he said, you know what, you're not judged according to your thoughts, all right. It's while you act on those thoughts. The thoughts is where the enemy comes in. But you know what? When you start to choose and, and, and to think upon the things of God, then that the whole thing about how God will, will, will bring captive those thoughts that try to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. You cannot fight the battle in your mind until you have the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God that I'm trying to give you? God has created you to be an overcomer. He's created you to be a victor. He's moved you from a victim to a victim. To a victor. I love this. Look at this here. These are the things that we have to come against. How do you move from being a victor to a victim? I'm going to skip ahead here. Become convinced that nothing can separate you from Christ's love. Nothing can separate you. Look how it's said here in, in verse 35 and 39 in the New Living Translation. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Praise him, to I want you to come up here if you would, please. How many of you know that there are all kinds of things and processes that the Lord needs to do in our lives on a regular basis? He's constantly working on us. But here's the thing, nothing. What does he say? Neither death nor life. Here's the issue. Some people fear death. When the word of God admonishes, it says, why would you fear death? For the apostle Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And yet because people fear death, it stops them from being something In the kingdom of God. I can't go there. I might die. (laughs) Now there's wisdom that comes into play. But but listen. If we truly believed In the assignment that God has given to us. To go somewhere. To put our lives on the line. So that someone else may come to know Jesus Christ. Do I have to fear death? I might die but do I have to fear death? See, that's the key. We've got to get to the place, as one of our core values at heart, that we be eternally minded. Think about things from an eternal or a kingdom perspective. Some people fear life. They fear about what tomorrow is going to bring. But he says nothing. Any event that takes place tomorrow in your life, it is not going to be able to separate you from the love of God. Neither angels or demons nor other fears. It doesn't matter. Listen, there is a project that's going on right now. It's called the Jesus Project. Okay, we got Project 714, but we got the Jesus Project. And you know who the object of the Jesus Project is? Us. The Jesus Project is something that's happening in you. That's exactly right. Jesus working through us. He's looking at you, and he's got a plan for your life. And here we are, and, and some of us are saying, you know what? I, 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 just, I just can't do it. I just feel the, 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 everything piling up on me. I can't breathe. There's, there's just so many things that don't go right, and I just feel so overwhelmed. I think that something needs to happen in us. It was a story I told, I guess, a while ago, but I ran across it again because it just is such a clear description and picture of how we can shed off and get rid of all of the things that the enemy tries to do to us. But there was a farmer who had a donkey, and the donkey fell into the well. Knowing the limited resources that he had, and knowing that the well really wasn't producing the way which he wanted to be, he he just figured there was just No way I could save the donkey. No way I could save the well. So he began to just throw shovelful upon shovelful into the well upon the donkey. and said he put him out of his misery. Sounds, Sounds morbid, doesn't it? But it was the hopelessness to which he had gotten to. It's really kind of the same place that lots of people in life get to. They're just like, you know what? I've got nothing to lose. And so why don't I just go ahead and just bury it all? get stuck so shovelful after shovelful after shovelful and he kept on throwing it on and you know what that donkey did the donkey went like this shovelful came up on him came up on his back he went <laughs> I know it looks funny I, I I know it feels like just emotion but he just Come on now. He shook off that dirt. He shook off that dirt, and that dirt began to go down to the ground. And before he knew it, that well was starting to fill up with dirt. And step upon step, he'd be able to get up. And before he knew it, that donkey was back up at the top again. Now, it wasn't because of the inside of the farmer. The farmer was ignorant to it. He does not have any answers to these life's difficult questions. But some donkey just began to react. I believe that God has put his spirit in each and every one of us. And there is a sliver of hope that's within you. Faith, right, is a substance of things hoped for the evidence of things that you have not yet seen you may not be able to see it with these physical eyes but let me tell you something god has not given up on you there is nothing that will separate you from his love there is nothing that god won't do in order to form you and shape you into what he wants you to be and today you need to be the bringer the bearers of the good news to other people today Sometimes you come and you get a message that's for you. Sometimes you come and you get it in a way in which you can share it with other people. But I want to tell you something. It is the word of God, and the word of God says it will not return void. But there may be some people here today, and you know you need Jesus Christ to come on in, to realign your thinking, to reposition you. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes if we would in this place today. If you're here today and you need to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If, If the enemy has just told you over and over again that you're a failure and there's just no way in which you could ever get up again. And you've believed it. But you're saying today, I want to recognize him as a redeemer of my soul. I want to recognize that he is the one that can take away my sins. I can't do it forming and shaping something in me. If that's you today, would you lift up your hand and you say, I, I need to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Anybody in here today at all? I need a reboot. I need a restart. I see that. God bless you. You can put that down. Good. Someone else here today? Anybody else? You got some things going on. Here's, here's another question for you. you. You see, to those of you who are here, how many of you are operating at a, at a subpar level, at a lower level? You've had a hard time seeing that God is using the difficult situations, the trials and tribulations in your life to make you into what he wants you to be. And you know what? He's so overwhelmed you that you're going through anxiety and you're going through depression, you're going through discouragement. And you know what? You want to see the light at the end of the tunnel and you haven't been seeing it, you say, I need a change. Come on. How many of you need a little revival? You need to get out of the stagnant pool of discouragement. Would you lift up your hand in this place? Come on. Lift up your hand in this place. God's going to do something in you today. If you will but believe, if you will believe the word, that nothing will separate you from the love of God. He loves you. You can put your hands down. God bless you. I want everybody in this place to stand to your feet. There's a lot of people here who have a lot of experience in the church, a lot in the church world and church services, and you know what an altar is, and an altar is is a place that we come and we recognize that that we lay down a sacrifice and and let God kind of change things around for us. We offer Him something. Nothing begins with God until you lay yourself upon that altar. You say, Lord, not my way, but your way. And when you do that, something miraculous happens. So I'm not sure where you're at. I'm not sure how the Jesus Project is coming on in you. But this song that we're going to sing says this. It says, are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It goes on Says, leave behind. Forget those regrets and mistakes. Come today. There's no reason to wait. Say it with me. Jesus is calling. I'm going to invite those individuals who raise your hand and say, you know what? I want for God to do something within me. I want for him to take the discouragement that I'm experiencing and the overwhelming feelings that are, that are happening there. And I, I want God to just, to just be at large and in charge of my life. And I believe that he can do that. I believe that something can happen today that will forever transform things in your life.